to lord alfred douglas the unpublished portion of de profundis part two from oscar wilde his life and confessions by frank harris this librivox recording is in the public domain it may be strange that i had once again i will not say the chance but the duty of separating from you forced on me i need hardly remind you that i refer to your conduct to me at brighton from october tenth to thirteenth eighteen ninety four three years is a long time for you to go back but we who live in prison and in whose lives there is no event but sorrow have to measure time by throbs of pain and the record of bitter moments we have nothing else to think of suffering curious as it may sound to you is the means by which we exist because it is the only means by which we become conscious of existing and the remembrance of suffering in the past is necessary to us as the warrant the evidence of our continued identity between myself and the memory of joy lies a gulf no less deep than that between myself and joy in its actuality had our life together been as the world fancied it to be one simply of pleasure profligacies and laughter i would not be able to recall a single passage in it it is because it was full of moments and days tragic bitter sinister in their warnings dull or dreadful in their monotonous scenes and unseemly violences that i can see or hear each separate incident in its detail can indeed see or hear little else so much in this place do men live by pain that my friendship with you in the way through which i am forced to remember it appears to me always as a prelude consonant with those varying modes of anguish which each day i have to realise nay more to necessitate them even as though my life whatever it had seemed to myself and others had all the while been a real symphony of sorrow passing through its rhythmically linked movements to its certain resolution with that inevitableness that in art characterises the treatment of every great theme i spoke of your conduct to me on three successive days three years ago did i not i entertained you of course i had no option in the matter but elsewhere and not in my own home the next day monday your companion returned to the duties of his profession and you stayed with me bored with worthing and still more i have no doubt with my fruitless efforts to concentrate my attention on my play the only thing that really interested me at the moment you insisted on being taken to the grand hotel at brighton the night we arrive you fall ill with that dreadful low fever that is foolishly called the influenza your second if not your third attack i need not remind you how i waited on you and tended you not merely with every luxury of fruit flowers presents books and the like that money can procure but with that affection tenderness and love that whatever you may think is not to be procured for money 
except for an hour's walk in the morning an hour's drive in the afternoon i never left the hotel i got special grapes from london for you as you did not care for those the hotel supplied invented things to please you remained either with you or in the room next to yours sat with you every evening to quiet or amuse you after four or five days you recover and i take lodgings in order to try and finish my play you of course accompany me the morning after the day on which you are installed i feel extremely ill the doctor finds i have caught the influenza from you there is no manservant to wait on me not even any one to send out on a message or to get what the doctor orders but you are there i feel no alarm the next two days you leave me entirely alone without care without attendance without anything it was not a question of grapes flowers and charming gifts it was a question of mere necessities and when i was left all day without anything to read you calmly tell me that you bought the book i wanted and that they had promised to send it down a statement which i found by chance afterwards to have been entirely untrue from beginning to end all the while you are of course living at my expense driving about dining at the grand hotel and indeed only appearing in my room for money on the saturday night you having completely left me unattended and alone since the morning i asked you to come back after dinner and sit with me for a little with irritable voice and ungracious manner you promise to do so i wait till eleven o'clock and you never appear at three in the morning unable to sleep and tortured with thirst i made my way in the dark and cold down to the sitting-room in the hopes of finding some water there i found you you fell on me with every hideous word an intemperate mood an undisciplined and untutored nature could suggest by the terrible alchemy of egotism you converted your remorse into rage you accused me of selfishness in expecting you to be with me when i was ill of standing between you and your amusements of trying to deprive you of your pleasures you told me and i know it was quite true that you would come back at midnight simply in order to change your dress clothes and go out again i told you at length to leave the room you pretended to do so but when i lifted up my head from the pillow in which i had buried it you were still there and with brutality of laughter and hysteria of rage you moved suddenly towards me a sense of horror came over me for what exact reason i could not make out but i got out of my bed at once and barefooted and just as i was made my way down the two flights of stairs to the sitting-room you returned silently for money took what you could find on the dressing-table and mantelpiece and left the house with your luggage need i tell you what i thought of you during the two lonely wretched days of illness that followed is it necessary for me to state 
that i saw clearly that it would be a dishonour to myself to continue even an acquaintance with such a one as you had showed yourself to be that i recognised that the ultimate moment had come and recognised it as being really a great relief and that i knew that for the future my art and life would be freer and better and more beautiful in every possible way ill as i was i felt at ease the fact that the separation was irrevocable gave me peace wednesday was my birthday amongst the telegrams and communications on my table was a letter in your handwriting i opened it with a sense of sadness on me i knew that the time had gone by when a pretty phrase an expression of affection a word of sorrow would make me take you back but i was entirely deceived i had underrated you you congratulated me on my prudence in leaving the sick-bed on my sudden flight downstairs it was an ugly moment for you you said uglier than you imagine ah i felt it but too well what it had really meant i do not know whether you had with you the pistol you had bought to try to frighten your father with and that thinking it to be unloaded you had once fired off in a public restaurant in my company whether your hand was moving towards a common dinner-knife that by chance was lying on the table between us whether forgetting in your rage your low stature and inferior strength you had thought of some special personal insult or attack even as i lay ill there i could not tell i do not know to the present moment all i know is that a feeling of utter horror had come over me and that i had felt that unless i left the room at once and got away you would have done or tried to do something that would have been even to you a source of lifelong shame on your return to town from the actual scene of the tragedy to which you had been summoned you came at once to me very sweetly and very simply in your suit of woe and with your eyes dim with tears you sought consolation and help as a child might seek it i opened to you my house my home my heart i made your sorrow mine also that you might have help in bearing it never even by one word did i allude to your conduct towards me to the revolting scenes and the revolting letter the gods are strange it is not our vices only they make instruments to scourge us they bring us to ruin through what in us is good gentle humane loving but for my pity and affection for you and yours i would not now be weeping in this terrible place of course i discern in all our relations not destiny merely but doom doom that walks always swiftly because she goes to the shedding of blood through your father you come of a race marriage with whom is horrible friendship fatal and that lays violent hands either on its own life or on the lives of others in every little circumstance in which the ways of our lives met 
in every point of great or seemingly trivial import in which you came to me for pleasure or help in the small chances the slight accidents that look in their relation to life to be no more than the dust that dances in a beam or the leaf that flutters from a tree ruin followed like the echo of a bitter cry or the shadow that hunts with the beast of prey our friendship really begins with your begging me in a most pathetic and charming letter to assist you in a position appalling to any one doubly so to a young man at oxford i do so and ultimately through your using my name as your friend with sir george lewis i begin to lose his esteem and friendship a friendship of fifteen years standing when i was deprived of his advice and help and regard i was deprived of the one great safeguard of my life you send me a very nice poem of the undergraduate school of verse for my approval i reply by a letter of fantastic literary conceits i compare you to hylas or hyacinth jonquil or narcissus or some one whom the great god of poetry favoured and honoured with his love the letter is like a passage from one of shakespeare's sonnets transposed to a minor key it was let me say frankly the sort of letter i would in a happy if wilful moment have written to any graceful young man of either university who had sent me a poem of his own making certain that he would have sufficient wit or culture to interpret rightly its fantastic phrases look at the history of that letter it passes from you into the hands of a loathsome companion from him to a gang of blackmailers copies of it are sent about london to my friends and to the manager of the theatre where my work is being performed every construction but the right one is put on it society is thrilled with the absurd rumours that i have had to pay a high sum of money for having written an infamous letter to you this forms the basis of your father's worst attack i produce the original letter myself in court to show what it really is it is denounced by your father's counsel as a revolting and insidious attempt to corrupt innocence ultimately it forms part of a criminal charge the crown takes it up the judge sums up on it with little learning and much morality i go to prison for it at last that is the result of writing you a charming letter it makes me feel sometimes as if you yourself had been merely a puppet worked by some secret and unseen hand to bring terrible events to a terrible issue but puppets themselves have passions they will bring a new plot into what they are presenting and twist the ordered issue of vicissitude to suit some whim or appetite of their own to be entirely free and at the same time entirely dominated by law is the eternal paradox of human life that we realise at every moment and this i often think is the only explanation possible of your nature 
if indeed for the profound and terrible mystery of a human soul there is any explanation at all except one that makes the mystery all the more marvellous still i thought life was going to be a brilliant comedy and that you were to be one of the graceful figures in it i found it to be a revolting and repellent tragedy and that the sinister occasion of the great catastrophe sinister in its concentration of aim and intensity of narrowed will-power was yourself stripped of the mask of joy and pleasure by which you no less than i had been deceived and led astray the memory of our friendship is the shadow that walks with me here that seems never to leave me that wakes me up at night to tell me the same story over and over till its wearisome iteration makes all sleep abandon me till dawn at dawn it begins again it follows me into the prison-yard and makes me talk to myself as i tramp round each detail that accompanied each dreadful moment i am forced to recall there is nothing that happened in those ill-starred years that i cannot recreate in that chamber of the brain which is set apart for grief or for despair every strained note of your voice every twitch and gesture of your nervous hands every bitter word every poisonous phrase comes back to me i remember the street or river down which we passed the wall or woodland that surrounded us at what figure on the dial stood the hands of the clock which way went the wings of the wind the shape and colour of the moon there is i know one answer to all that i have said to you and that is that you loved me that all through those two and a half years during which the fates were weaving into one scarlet pattern the threads of our divided lives you really loved me though i saw quite clearly that my position in the world of art the interest that my personality had always excited my money the luxury in which i lived the thousand and one things that went to make up a life so charmingly and so wonderfully improbable as mine was were each and all of them elements that fascinated you and made you cling to me yet besides all this there was something more some strange attraction for you you loved me far better than you loved anyone else but you like myself have had a terrible tragedy in your life though one of an entirely opposite character to mine do you want to learn what it was it was this in you hate was always stronger than love your hatred of your father was of such stature that it entirely outstripped overgrew and overshadowed your love of me there was no struggle between them at all or but little of such dimensions was your hatred and of such monstrous growth you did not realize that there was no room for both passions in the same soul they cannot live together in that fair carven house love is fed by the imagination by which we become wiser than we know better than we feel nobler than we are 
by which we can see life as a whole by which and by which alone we can understand others in their real as in their ideal relations only what is fine and finely conceived can feed love but anything will feed hate there was not a glass of champagne that you drank not a rich dish that you ate of in all those years that did not feed your hate and make it fat so to gratify it you gambled with my life as you gambled with my money carelessly recklessly indifferent to the consequences if you lost the loss would not you fancied be yours if you won yours you knew would be the exultation and the advantages of victory hate blinds people you are not aware of that love can read the writing on the remotest star but hate so blinded you that you could see no further than the narrow walled-in and already lust-withered garden of your common desires your terrible lack of imagination the one really fatal defect in your character was entirely the result of the hate that lived in you subtly silently and in secret hate gnawed at your nature as the lichen bites at the root of some sallow plant till you grew to see nothing but the most meagre interests and the most petty aims that faculty in you which love would have fostered hate poisoned and paralysed the idea of your being the object of a terrible quarrel between your father and a man of my position seemed to delight you you scented the chance of a public scandal and flew to it the prospect of a battle in which you would be safe delighted you you know what my art was to me the great primal note by which i had revealed first myself to myself and then myself to the world the great passion of my life the love to which all other loves were as marsh water to red wine or the glow-worm of the marsh to the magic mirror of the moon don't you understand now that your lack of imagination was the one really fatal defect of your character what you had to do was quite simple and quite clear before you but hate had blinded you and you could see nothing life is quite lovely to you and yet if you are wise and wish to find life much lovelier still and in a different manner you will let the reading of this terrible letter for such i know it is prove to you as important a crisis and turning-point of your life as the writing of it is to me your pale face used to flush easily with wine or pleasure if as you read what is here written it from time to time becomes scorched as though by a furnace blast with shame it will be all the better for you the supreme vice is shallowness whatever is realised is right how clearly i saw it then as now i need not tell you but i said to myself at all costs i must keep love in my heart if i go into prison without love what will become of my soul the letters i wrote to you at that time from holloway 
were my efforts to keep love as the dominant note of my own nature i could if i had chosen have torn you to pieces with bitter reproaches i could have rent you with maledictions the sins of another were being placed to my account had i so chosen i could on either trial have saved myself at his expense not from shame indeed but from imprisonment had i cared to show that the crown witnesses the three most important had been carefully coached by your father and his solicitors not in reticences merely but in assertions in the absolute transference deliberate plotted and rehearsed of the actions and doings of someone else unto me i could have had each one of them dismissed from the box by the judge more summarily than even wretched perjured atkins was i could have walked out of court with my tongue in my cheek and my hands in my pockets a free man the strongest pressure was put upon me to do so i was earnestly advised begged entreated to do so by people whose sole interest was my welfare and the welfare of my house but i refused i did not choose to do so i have never regretted my decision for a single moment even in the most bitter periods of my imprisonment such a course of action would have been beneath me sins of the flesh are nothing they are maladies for physicians to cure if they should be cured sins of the soul alone are shameful to have secured my acquittal by such means would have been a lifelong torture to me but do you really think that you were worthy of the love i was showing you then or that for a single moment i thought you were do you really think that any period of our friendship you were worthy of the love i showed you or that for a single moment i thought you were i knew you were not but love does not traffic in a market-place nor use a huckster's scales its joy like the joy of the intellect is to feel itself alive the aim of love is to love no more and no less you were my enemy such an enemy as no man ever had i had given you my life and to gratify the lowest and most contemptible of all human passions hatred and vanity and greed you had thrown it away in less than three years you had entirely ruined me from every point of view after my terrible sentence when the prison dress was on me and the prison house closed i sat amidst the ruins of my wonderful life crushed by anguish bewildered with terror dazed through pain but i would not hate you every day i said to myself i must keep love in my heart to-day else how shall i live through the day i reminded myself that you meant no evil to me at any rate it all flashed across me and i remember that for the first and last time in my entire prison life i laughed in that laugh was all the scorn of the world prince fleur-de-lis i saw that nothing that had happened had made you realize a single thing you were in your own eyes 
still the graceful prince of a trivial comedy not the sombre figure of a tragic show had there been nothing in your heart to cry out against so vulgar a sacrilege you might at least have remembered the sonnet he wrote who saw with such sorrow and scorn the letters of john keats sold by public auction in london and have understood at last the real meaning of my lines i think they love not art who break the crystal of a poet's heart that small and sickly eyes may glare or gloat one cannot always keep an adder in one's breast to feed on one nor rise up every night to sow thorns in the garden of one's soul i cannot allow you to go through life bearing in your heart the burden of having ruined a man like me does it ever occur to you what an awful position i would have been in if for the last two years during my appalling sentence i had been dependent on you as a friend do you ever think of that do you ever feel any gratitude to those who by kindness without stint devotion without limit cheerfulness and joy in giving have lightened my black burden for me have arranged my future life for me have visited me again and again have written to me beautiful and sympathetic letters have managed my affairs for me have stood by me in the teeth of obloquy taunt open sneer or insult even i thank god every day that he gave me friends other than you i owe everything to them the very books in my cell are paid for by robbie out of his pocket-money from the same source are to come clothes for me when i am released i am not ashamed of taking a thing that is given by love and affection i am proud of it but do you ever think of what friends such as moore Adey, robbie robert sherard frank harris and arthur clifton have been to me in giving me comfort help affection sympathy and the like i know that your mother lady queensbury puts the blame on me i hear of it not from people who know you but from people who do not know you and do not desire to know you i hear of it often she talks of the influence of an elder over a younger man for instance it is one of her favourite attitudes towards the question as it is always a successful appeal to popular prejudice and ignorance i need not ask you what influence i had over you you know i had none it was one of your frequent boasts that i had none the only one indeed that was well founded what was there as a mere matter of fact in you that i could influence your brain it was undeveloped your imagination it was dead your heart it was not yet born of all the people who have ever crossed my life you were the one and the only one i was unable in any way to influence in any direction i waited month after month to hear from you even if i had not been waiting but had shut the doors against you you should have remembered that no one can possibly shut the doors against love forever the unjust judge in the gospels rises up at length to give a just decision 
because justice comes daily knocking at his door and at night-time the friend in whose heart there is no real friendship yields at length to his friend because of his importunity there is no prison in any world into which love cannot force an entrance if you did not understand that you did not understand anything about love at all write to me with full frankness about yourself about your life your friends your occupations your books whatever you have to say for yourself say it without fear don't write what you don't mean that is all if anything in your letter is false or counterfeit i shall detect it by the ring at once it is not for nothing or to no purpose that in my lifelong cult of literature i have made myself miser of sound and syllable no less than midas of his coinage remember also that i have yet to know you perhaps we have yet to know each other for myself i have but this last thing to say do not be afraid of the past if people tell you that it is irrevocable do not believe them the past the present and the future are but one moment in the sight of god in whose sight we should try to live time and space succession and extension are merely accidental conditions of a thought the imagination can transcend them and more in a free sphere of ideal existences things also are in their essence what we choose to make them a thing is according to the mode in which one looks at it where others says blake see but the dawn coming over the hill i see the sons of god shouting for joy what seemed to the world and to myself my future i lost irrevocably when i let myself be taunted into taking the action against your father had i dare say lost in reality long before that what lies before me is the past i have got to make myself look on that with different eyes to make the world look on it with different eyes to make god look on it with different eyes this i cannot do by ignoring it or slighting it or praising it or denying it it is only to be done fully by accepting it as an inevitable part of the evolution of my life and character by bowing my head to everything that i have suffered how far i am away from the true temper of soul this letter in its changing uncertain moods its scorn and bitterness its aspirations and its failures to realise those aspirations shows you quite clearly but do not forget in what a terrible school i am setting at my task and incomplete imperfect as i am yet from me you may have still much to gain you came to me to learn the pleasure of life and the pleasure of art perhaps i am chosen to teach you something much more wonderful the meaning of sorrow and its beauty your affectionate friend oscar wilde this letter of oscar wilde to lord alfred douglas is curiously self-revealing and characteristic 
while reading it one should recall oscar's provocation lord alfred douglas had driven him to the prosecution and then deserted him and left him in prison without using his influence to mitigate his friend's suffering or his pen to console and encourage him the abandonment was heartless and complete the letter however is vindictive in spite of its intimate revelations oscar took care that his indictment should be made public the flagrant self-deceptions of the plea show its sincerity oscar even accuses young alfred douglas of having induced him to eat and drink too much the taproot of the letter is a colossal vanity the bitterness of it wounded egotism the falseness of it a self-righteous pose of ineffable superiority as of a superman oscar denies to alfred douglas imagination scholarship or even a knowledge of poetry he tells him in so many words he is without brain or heart then why did he allow himself to be hag-ridden to his ruin by such a creature yet how human the letter is how pathetic end of section